You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to an instant reaction edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. The Brooklyn Nets defeat the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Of course, I decide not to go to this game tonight. I always, whenever I go to the Garden for Nets-Knicks, the Knicks not only beat the Nets, it usually becomes a complete ass-whooping. I have said this before. I think Net fans understand this. I do not think Nick fans understand this. I freaking hate your basketball team. I really do. I would say to you, I dislike the Knicks more than I dislike any of the other, other teams in this town. As a Jets fan, as a Mets fan, as an Islander fan, and of course as a Nets fan, all of the other teams in town I'll be jealous of at times. I may not like at times. The Knicks are clearly the number one team I dislike, which I think is surprising to some because the stereotype is, well, it's got to be the Yankees. Got to hate the Yankees the most. No, no, no. See, here's the difference. I respect the Yankees. I have grown up and seen the Yankees every single year be a good team. I've seen their ownership be aggressive in trying to win. I have seen a model franchise, a franchise I want to be. So I'm jealous of the Yankees. The Knicks, is a, they're a franchise I have disdain for. I'm not jealous of them. I'm only jealous of the fans that they have. They have a lot of fans. I'm not jealous of their success. They've been a joke most of my adult life. And what annoys me, and I have certainly invited the Nick fan to listen to this podcast tonight, and I'm going to talk about your team, so I don't want to completely alienate you, all of you right off the top. I'm just being honest. I'm being real. You want me to be real. Um, most Nick fans, I, I, they have an attitude as if, oh, well, let me take that back. It's not most Nick fans. There is a significant portion of Nick fans that have this Yankee attitude to them when they're not the Yankees. It's like, and I, I've never used this comparison on air because I don't think it's, uh, I, w- I just wouldn't use it on air, but I'll use it here on a podcast. The Nick fan, some of them, they're like the guy who really thinks they're well endowed. They think, oh my God, look at this. Meanwhile, it's really not that big. That's what a lot of Nick fans are to me. So when the Nets beat the Knicks on those rare nights, we remember what happened last year, Nets got swept by them, I do get a lot of joy in it. Now, I want to be real. The Brooklyn Nets had an eight-game losing streak. They collapsed in most of their games. We did a podcast that maybe you listened to a couple of days ago in which basically it was all about the fact this season's over. Should Kenny be the coach? Do we have a new view on this season? I can't, off a two-game winning streak, completely eliminate the stank of all of those bad losses. I can't do that. But what I can say is I can give this team a little bit of credit. First off, I give them a lot of credit for Friday night against the Toronto Raptors. I was in the building that night. I kind of went in it with a mentality of, 
we will watch the Nets get beat up. Maybe they'll have an early lead. They'll blow. Kawhi will do what he wants to do. And this is just a date night. So don't get too pissed off when the Nets blow a big lead against the Raptors or just flat out lose. My wife came with me, went out for a nice dinner. Don't get too wrapped up. And obviously, once they build a lead and it was a very competitive game, I get wrapped into it. When they have a seven-point lead with four and a half minutes to go, I get wrapped into it. And the Nets were fortunate to win the Toronto game. Kawhi Leonard missed a really good look that rattled in and out. Of course, they couldn't get a shot off at the end of the game, basically. Dinwiddie got blocked by Kawhi, who was doing everything towards the end of this game. And in overtime, Fred Van Fleet had a great look from three. I tweeted out the image from my seat uh, the other day. He had a great look. He flat out missed it. Now, the Nets deserve the break, considering all the, the horrors that have gone against them. A lot of it created by themselves. A lot of it not created by themselves, such as bad officiating, like the Philadelphia game. But it was a good win. I didn't want to get too high after the Toronto game, but it was a good quality win. They showed uh, the ability to bounce back. Even after Jared Dudley's ripping everybody, uh, and as fans were giving up, as fans were reevaluating the season, the guys went out and played against the best team in the Eastern Conference, and they flat out beat them. There was a lot of fortunate bounces that went their way. They still won the game. I thought this game against the Knicks was fascinating to me for a few reasons. Number one, I'm so sick of talking about the streak. You probably saw it mentioned so many times during this game, the back-to-back streak that the Nets have had, where I forget about being on the road. I know it was 33 in a row of of the second half of a back-to-back on the road. They hadn't won since December of 2015. The Mets were just coming off winning the pennant, okay? That's how long ago it was. It's not even that. It's a general, they suck on back-to-backs kind of thing. And what's pissed me off about it over the last couple of years is that this is a young team. So it shouldn't kill them. Now, the road back-to-back aspect at the Garden shouldn't be as big of a deal. Not because it's a home game as far as the energy in the crowd. It's certainly not. It's that you didn't really travel. So I think a part of that streak has been the travel aspect. There's no travel here. You're playing a back-to-back. You're going to freaking Madison Square Garden. And early in this game, I like the energy they came out with. There were a couple of things early I really liked. Their perimeter defense especially was really good. And Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who I crushed on the State of the Nets podcast a few days ago, look, he's been great the last two nights. I'll be the first one to admit it. No doubt about it. Especially tonight. He was good offensively. He actually hit his two three-point shots, both corner threes. Uh, Usually when Rondé puts up a three, I want to never watch basketball ever again. But he was good offensively. He took it to the basket a lot. He was aggressive. And defensively, he was really good. If you remember back even to the Philadelphia game when Jimmy Butler hit that game-winning shot, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson played great defense against him. There was nothing more he could do. I thought last night on the final possession in overtime, he was fighting through screens. He was battling, sticking with Kawhi. Tonight against the Knicks, he was great on the perimeter, as was a lot of the other bigger guys that Kenny's been using in this lineup as Shabazz Napier has basically been out of the rotation. He used Dudley, Kuritz, along with the centers, had, I think there was at one point, he had a lineup of one of the point guards, either Dinwiddie or Russell, and then... The four guys with him, I think, were Rondé, Carroll, Davis or Allen, and then Kuroot. So he was going with a big lineup, and we've seen that 
over the last two nights, and I kind of like it. Honestly, I like anything that features Kuritz getting minutes. Played about 12 minutes tonight, didn't do all that much. The night before in Toronto, I thought we saw the reason why Radonis has to play. He brings an energy to this team. And I think we've seen Kenny over the last two nights after the Oklahoma City game realize, and that was one of the things we were screaming about on that podcast, that one of the things that has to change is Radonis needs minutes. He only got 12 and a half minutes tonight. I'd still like to see more, but we have seen Jared Dudley's role move back a little bit. We have seen that, and we've seen really just Russell and Dinwiddie play the point and Shabazz kind of lose his minutes over the last couple of nights. Russell tonight was very different. He was more of a facilitator tonight. Hit a couple of big shots late, but for the most part, we didn't see that big offensive display like we saw in the Toronto game. Because I thought D'Angelo Russell, who for some reason they didn't play enough of in the fourth quarter in the Toronto game, he had a lot of big shots in that overtime. It was Russell versus Kawhi a lot in that overtime period. Um, the other positive is Alan Crabb. Look, here's the thing about Alan Crabb and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I'll rip them. I'll be honest about them. They frustrate the crap out of me. In an ideal world, both of those guys are not on the team next year. But when they play well, I love it. I mean, why would I not? I'm a fan of the team first. And Alan Crabb has played a lot better recently. Today, he made all of his threes, which is really where his offense comes from. I mean, Alan Crabb, I think on two-point shots, is hitting something like 20 25%. He's been brutal. But Crabb defensively, even more so than the 17 points and the 6-for-9 from the field and hitting five three-point shots, more than that, he, along with Rondé, played really good perimeter defense. Both of those guys played well tonight. Uh, Jared Allen was active. He gave you another double-double. He actually fouled out in this game. He already was, I think he committed his fifth foul with about six minutes to go, and Kenny stuck with him. Here's my rip of Kenny for the night. Can I uh, do my nightly rip of Kenny? When the Nets have a 17-point lead going into the fourth quarter, they had a nice third quarter. They put 38 up on them. They really built this lead. Their largest lead of the game was right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I think they actually got it to 19 in the early part of the fourth quarter. And anybody who's a Net fan knows that doesn't mean anything. I don't care who you're playing. That 19-point lead, is no, there's no guarantee they're holding on to that. Come on. We've seen enough of this over the last couple of weeks. But when the Knicks go on their run, and I want to get to how the Knicks went on their run, and the other thing I want to get to on this is the whole – uh, tank debate, because I had a nice discussion with J.J. via text message about it, and I want to get into the tank debate. We'll get into the Knicks in a second, but you got to call a timeout. When the Knicks cut that deficit to seven, and there was a moment where they actually had it to five with the basketball, but I think even before that, when they cut it to seven, can you call a timeout if you're Kenny Atkinson? He doesn't seem to have a great feel for when you take that stop the bleeding timeout. And that stop the bleeding to stop the bleeding timeout, that's a big timeout you got to take in a game. The Knicks are playing, they're energizing the Garden. They're playing well. Mitchell Robinson is doing these ridiculous athletic things. He is so long. Do something. Stop it. And he did it. Now, he was bailed out. And here's why. Because after the Nets have that shot clock violation, that just absolute mess when no one wanted to shoot, and Frank has the layup, Frank Nilakina, who finally got a chance to play, and they cut it to five. Here is the 
turning point of this basketball game, and maybe turning point isn't the right word because or phrase because the Nets had a lead, I, I would say it was the stopping of the bleeding moment of the game, which certainly wasn't coming from a Kenny timeout. D'Angelo Russell turns the ball over very lazily, and it's picked off by Mitchell Robinson. Kind of a lazy pass, and Robinson, who at times it felt like he was nine feet watching him play, picks it off, gets it to Damian Dotson in transition, and he misses a layup. And to me, that changed everything. It's a five-point game. The garden is loud. The Nets just turn the ball over. You've got them in transition, or you're in transition. A chance to get it to three with about, you know, four and change to go. Misses the layup. Nets on the other end get a goal 10 violation. Ball actually went through anyway. Frank misses a three. Crab hits a three. Ten-point game. Ball game over. But not really. Yeah. When I say ball game over, ten-point lead, four and a half minutes to go. You actually know the ball game is not over. And it did get a little dicey. They got it to six. RHJ misses two free throws, which I was I wanted to throw stuff at the TV. I didn't. Because I, I didn't feel like this was the kind of game and this is the kind of team that should be worth me breaking a television. It's just I'm not there yet. RHJ misses the two free throws and then makes a tremendous defensive play against Alonzo Trier where the ball is batted off Trier and then Jefferson somehow dances around to avoid the ball going off of him. They had to review it because initially they said it was Nick Ball, of course, but they reviewed it. And looking at the review, I'm thinking, holy crap, Ari, how the hell did he get out of the way of that basketball? It was a great defensive play by Rondé Hollis Jefferson. And the Nets were able to hold down and beat the Knicks. A couple of things about the Knicks. I, I like when a coach says, you've got to earn your playing time. And Frank Nilakina has not had a great year this season. And there are times in which you look at Frank and you say, what is he ever going to progress into? Fizdale's benched him three games in a row. And I still think it's early enough in his career, and this is still a team where you're trying to figure out who's going to be on this roster in the near future. And Emmanuel Moutier is having the best year of his career. There's no question. And I give him a lot of credit. He's shooting the basketball way better than he ever has in his career. He's just been a much, much better player, no doubt. But if I'm David Fizdale, I'm playing Frank Nilakina. I may not be giving him big minutes every single night, but I got to play the kid. He finally takes him off mothballs, and he does it in a weird time. He does it late third quarter, down 15. But here's what Fisdale did tonight that was fascinating. He goes to his bench. His entire bench is out on the court. Kevin Knox is getting minutes, Mitchell Robinson, Alonzo Trier. We mentioned Frank Nilakina, Damian Dotson. Those are the five guys. And just completely rides them the rest of the game. Now, because this is about development, and it's not about tanking, because I'll get to that in a second. It's not about tanking. It's about development. It's about challenging these guys. So a part of me liked it. I'm talking from a worldly basketball perspective. As a Net fan, I'm only thinking about winning. And the one thing I liked as a Net fan is that Ennis Cantor wasn't on the floor. And trust me, I know how bad Cantor can be late in games defensively. I know about his inability to defend the pick and roll. I've seen it plenty. But Ennis Cantor eats the Nets up and spits them out. 
And Mitchell Robinson, while he does freaky athletic things, is so limited offensively at this point. And his canter is not. So if you're flat out, forget development, forget anything, I want to win this basketball game. I love that the bench got me back in the game, and they did. They deserve credit for that. But once that's cut to seven or six, I think I'm calling a timeout if I'm Fisdale, and I'm going back to my guys. I'm going back to Tim Hardaway. I'm even going back to Ennis Cantor. But instead, what Fisdale said was, you know what? These guys got me back in the game. They're all young. I mean, think about the five guys I just mentioned. I think they were all in the exact same NBA draft. Well, not Trier, obviously, because he was undrafted this year. But think about it. Well, I'm thinking about it now. I'm trying to figure out if I'm right. Actually, I'm not right because Mitchell Robinson and Trier were this year. Damian Dotson was last year. Either way, they're all young, okay? All of them. And so he's challenging them in this spot. Hey, can you complete the comeback? And Mitchell Robinson, Mitchell Robinson has a chance. He's not there yet. He's got a lot to learn. Obviously, missed a couple of big free throws down the stretch. But Mitchell Robinson's got freaky athletic ability. I mean, some of the things he was doing just doesn't feel human. But if you're trying to win the game more so than develop, I think what you do when you get it to seven or five and then it goes back to seven is you start to go back to some of your starters that can win you the game. Tim Hardaway Jr. can win you the game. Emmanuel Moutier can win you the game. And Ennis Cantor against the Nets certainly can win this, win you this game. There was a point, and I think it was early third quarter, where Ennis Cantor had 10 field goals. He was 10 for 13 from the field. And I think that's where he finished because he never came back in the game after I thought this. But Cantor had hit 10 field goals, and the rest of his teammates had hit 13. Now, it obviously ended very differently because Cantor didn't play the final chunk of this game. In fact, there was no Nick who played 30 minutes in this game. Who do you think led the Knicks in minutes tonight? It was obviously somebody off the bench. In fact, the top two guys in minutes both came off the bench. Damian Dotson led the team in minutes. Alonzo Trier, number two, if I'm not mistaken. Let me, let me confirm I'm actually right about that. Uh, yeah, no, I actually am. How about that? I'm actually right about that. Damian Dotson, second-round pick from a year ago. Alonzo Trier, undrafted. You got to give the Knicks a lot of credit. You really do, because they have found themselves, and I'm not sure where it's going to end up with Dotson, where it's going to end up with Trier. I think it's still too early to know where their careers are going to end up. But so far, I mean, you got to be really impressed. And Mitchell Robinson, too, as a second-round pick, what he's shown you early on. I think we need to see more of Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox played 20 minutes tonight. I think we need to see more aggressiveness out of Kevin Knox. And it's just amazing to think Tim Hardaway didn't come back. And I know Tim Hardaway was not shooting the basketball well. I get that. But still, you're trying to win that basketball game. You get it to seven, you get it to five. I get that the bench got you back in the game. You go back to the regulars. Give Hazonia credit. He had a bunch of threes early. And he hadn't done much of that this season. I mean, his shooting has been awful, but he's played defense, so let's put him in the Hall of Fame. Let me get to the tanking issue. I received a few text messages tonight from people who are Nick fans telling me, hey, I hope you win. We're tanking. Now, first of all, 
I hate that. And I don't mean the hating of the tanking part. I'll get to. I mean, I don't like the Knicks. I explained it at the top of the podcast. I want to beat the Knicks. It means something to me. All right? And I got to hear Knicks fans tell me, I hope you win. And you're taking any joy, any potential joy. I may get out of this game. You're just taking it away. You're stealing it from me because you're telling me I want you to win. Don't want me to win. You know, someday, I don't know when, both of these teams are going to be good. And I will, as always, dislike the Knicks. And maybe then Knicks fans won't like us. They'll want to beat the Nets instead of texting me, boy, I hope you'll win the game. But here is why the tanking thing is stupid. Let's play the numbers. If you finish with a bottom four record, you got a 14% chance of winning the lottery. It's 14% we're talking. We're not talking about 50%, even the way it used to be when it was 25%. What are we talking about? Now, I get... In this draft, the one that's upcoming, it's more than Zion Williamson. That's your fantasy. It's more than that. It's R.J. Barrett. It's Cam Reddish. It's Bull Bull. It's whomever else. So maybe it's, hey, I want to be in the bottom three. I want to guarantee guarantee myself I'm in the bottom four. You don't really guarantee yourself anything. If you finish with the worst record in the league, and I don't think the Knicks or Nets are finishing with the worst record in the league, all you're guaranteed is either one, two, three, four, or five. That's what you're guaranteed. And it's a 52% shot that you're picking one through four and about 48% that you're picking five. So the odds are telling you you're probably picking in the front four, but the pick you're most likely to have is actually fifth. If you finish with the second worst record in the league, you're only guaranteed one through six. If you finish with the third worst record in the league, you're guaranteed one through seven, fourth, one through eight, fifth, one through nine. And your chances of winning or picking second or picking third or picking fourth are exactly the same if you finish with the three worst records in the NBA. So when you sit here on a Saturday night and you're watching Knicks Nets, do the math for a second before you tell me you hope you lose. What are you really hoping for? That your chance of picking first instead of being 12.5% is 14%? What are we talking about? These numbers are so minuscule. It's just, and I know a few days, I'm going to tell you the truth. A few days ago when we did State of the Net podcast, I said, well, the season's going to hell in a handbag. At least we have our pick. Maybe we'll win the lottery. Yeah, you tell yourself that after you lose. You know what I mean? After you lose, you say, well, the good news is, well, we're in the lottery. Not, hey, I'm actively watching a game hoping I lose. The numbers just don't back it up. The numbers just aren't convincing enough. And you want to give the NBA credit for changing the lottery numbers? Okay. Or or you hate it. It's, it's really your perspective. Maybe you hate it. You know, Joe always says, and he's wrong, but Joe always says there shouldn't be any lottery. If you finish with the worst record, you get the number one pick. The problem is then there would be tanking, and then I would understand tanking. But I think there is more to gain out of young players that you hope are on your team next year experiencing winning and learning how to win. Because as you're seeing from the Nets, it's very easy to lose, and it's very easy to blow games on a routine basis. Here's the other thing. 
about the tanking. And this was the discussion I had with JJ. If you look at this league right now, how have teams been built? How have the best teams been built? Let's start with the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry was taken seventh overall. Nick fans know this because they were picking eight. And they ended up with, um, oh my God, what's his name? They ended up trading him away pretty quickly. Oh man, name name is farted out of my brain. I think they used him in a, oh, Jordan Hill. There you go, sorry, just popped right back in. I think they used him in a salary uh, cap cutting deal. Jordan Hill. Steph Curry was seventh. Klay Thompson was picked 11th. Draymond Green was a second-round pick. The Golden State Warriors found two really good all-star caliber basketball players at 7 and at 11. The Milwaukee Bucks, who may turn out to be the best team in the Eastern Conference, is led by Giannis Antetokounmpo. He was taken 15th overall. The Toronto Raptors, probably as of right now, the best team in the Eastern Conference. Kyle Lowry was drafted late first round, not even by them. DeMar DeRozan, who's not here anymore, was taken in that 7-10 to 10 range. DeRozan traded for Kawhi Leonard, the rest of their bench, not built with lottery picks for the most part. The Boston Celtics, the Celtics have been built in many, many different ways. <laughs> Usually by lottery picks of the Nets, not even their own. Philadelphia, that's the template. Oh, but they tanked, Evan. They tanked so well. Come on. They're batting basically 333. Have they really done well with Markel Fultz when they decided to trade up with the Boston Celtics? Did they do all that well pre-Joel Embiid and pre-Ben Simmons? No. Did they do well with Jaleel Okafor? No. So, yeah, Philadelphia's built themselves by tanking. I'll give you that. But they had to tank year after year after year after year, and look what they've ended up with. LeBron James is a generational thing. That doesn't happen that often. It's not usually that obvious very often. Victor Oladipo, who has finally become a star, didn't even become a star with the first team that he was with. What other elite teams? How are they built? Oh, it's a good question. So let's take the Oklahoma City Thunder. Want to go with them? I want to decide how they were built. Obviously, right now, they're based on Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook was taken fourth overall. Now, that's high up there, I'll admit it, but it wasn't number one, it wasn't number two, and it wasn't number three. And remember who was taken ahead of Russell Westbrook because they were supposed to be better? Michael Beasley was taken ahead of Russell Westbrook. O.J. Mayo was taken ahead of Russell Westbrook. And even though it was right at the time, Derrick Rose was taken ahead of Russell Westbrook. Paul George, who was so great on the Indiana Pacers, was taken 10th overall in the draft. The Nets took Derek Favors ahead of him. The Pistons took Greg Monroe ahead of him. Does my point make sense? I know Zion Williamson has a chance to be a superstar. I'm enamored whenever, whenever I watch him because I see what he can be, and it's obvious what he can be. And so if you want to tell me, but Evan, this one is different. This is a different draft. You may be right. It may be different in that Zion looks like a can't miss. 
as compared to some of the lot of the other examples we've given about draft busts and how you can find guys into middle and late rounds or in the middle to latter part of the lottery. That's not changing. That's how you win. Smart management and smart picks are how you win. I give Sean Marks a lot of credit because Sean Marks found Karis LeVert 20th. He found Jared Allen 22nd. I give the Knicks credit. Alonzo Trier, and I'm not saying these guys are stars yet. I think LeVert has a chance to be a star. Alonzo Trier, maybe never be a star, but certainly has a chance to be a valuable player on a team. Guy was undrafted. Mitchell Robinson, second-round pick. The way to build a championship team, it's really not tanking. It's just not, because if you look around the league and see how our teams, where they are, it's not via tanking. Now, I know the Rockets may not be the example we should use right now because they are off, are off to such a terrible start, but I think it's safe to say that the Rockets, especially last year, have been a very upwards to elite team. James Harden was acquired via a trade in which assets were used. Clint Capella was taken 25th in the draft. So all I ask is look around the league, look at the good teams, and say, how were they built? How did they find their guys? And the proof's in the pudding. They're not all found, number one, number two, number three overall. And that's why, if you're going to sit there and invest time watching your team play, don't root for them to lose. Just rationalize after they lose that, hey, you've got a pick and there's lottery odds that have improved. It's called rationalizing, not rooting for that to happen. Anyhow, good win for the Nets. Uh, as far as what they can do from here, can they turn their season around at 10 and 18? It comes down to this. This is a nice two-game winning streak. I'm happy about it. I'm happy they beat the Raptors. I'm happy they beat the Knicks. They are still in the middle of a stretch in which they are playing a ton of home games. They go to Philadelphia on Wednesday. They have a few days off. I fully expect to lose that game, all right? So they're 10-19. and 19. I know you love this game, right, when we go win by win by win. All right, here's what they have coming up and what they have to do. They have a three-game homestand with Washington, Atlanta, and the Lakers. I would say go win all three, but let's just say two out of three, okay? Then they go to Chicago, back end of a back-to-back. Look, the Bulls suck. How about you win that game? How about the Laker-Bull back-to-back? You split and you beat Washington and Atlanta. If you do that, you're 3-1, and one, all right? Stick with me. Three more home games. Indiana, Phoenix, Charlotte. Can you win two of them? If you do that, you're 5-2. and two. If you do that... Actually, five and three, because I got to give the Philadelphia game a loss in Philadelphia. So if you go five and three, that gets you to 15 and 21, which is not great, but I think on that edge of being at least in the playoff race. But that's when things are going to get difficult because they have a lot of road games they've got to play. They go to Charlotte. I may be in the building for that. They go to Milwaukee. They go to Memphis. They have a game in Boston. So the schedule will get more difficult. But they still are in the midst of this stretch where they have a lot of games in their own building. Obviously, so far, they haven't done a great job with those because they've blown most of them that they've played. So we'll see. Hey, it's a long winter. I want to be optimistic because I want to have something to watch that'll be entertaining. One last thing, the Dinwiddie contract extension. I said this the other day. 
on the State of the Nets podcast. The reason I lean towards just giving him the extension now, first of all, it's a great value. Spencer Dinwiddie is having a much better season this year than he even did last year. He didn't shoot the basketball all that well last year. And even though there were times in which I just want to curse out Dinwiddie and he plays hero ball way too much and he milks the shot clock, takes the air out of the ball, and then just chucks up a long three, Spencer Dinwiddie is becoming a really, really useful player in this league. And a four-year, $47 million deal is a steal. It eats into your cap space, but he's always tradable. I mean, if you run into something bizarre during the offseason where you can end up, I don't know, Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard both say we're coming, which we know is not going to happen, I'm sure you can find a way to move Spencer Dinwiddie. And I forget who said this because I'd like to give the person credit, but I read it from somebody who covers the Nets. So I forget who it was. I do like the idea of rewarding him and rewarding guys around the league and sending them a message by saying, look, here's a guy that was a second-round pick. Here was a guy that was taken off the scrap heap. He's become something, and now we're going to reward him with a contract extension. Will the Nets do that? I don't think they will do it anytime soon, but if it was up to me, I'd certainly lean towards doing it. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. I want to tell you about uh, an episode coming up I'm very excited about. It is a detailed, in-depth analysis of every single pitching acquisition that Brian Cashman has ever made. We have talked a lot about Brian Cashman, the GM, over the years, but have we ever really gotten ultra-specific? We're going to. Not going to do it on FAN. I think I'd put Joe to sleep with this. But on a podcast form, why the hell not? Every free agent acquisition... Every trade move he has ever made for a starting pitcher will be put under the microscope. Expect that to drop Monday afternoon. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.